the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner, Chad Burton, drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question for the show, shoot me an email. Chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. Got an email from somebody asking the difference between ETFs and direct indexing. So I'm going to try to hit that later in the show. Uh, Let's do a quick market update. It's before the market opens, December 13th, 2023. And so far, what a year. Well, kind of needed it after last year, right? Remember last year, it was the tech rack. This year was a tech recovery. The NASDAQ is up 49.18% total return for the year. S&P 500 up 22.16%. That's because of the magnificent seven stocks. If we look at the equal weighted S&P 500, which is having an equal amount in all 500 largest companies in America um, versus market cap weighted, where most of it goes into the top companies, uh, equal weighted, even so far, 9% for the year. Emerging markets, lagger, but still up 4.35% despite China. I have noticed that this is a space where actively managed has really paid off this year, where you see returns that are quite a bit better in in several actively managed emerging market funds. Same with international developed. Although technically, if you look at it on a non-market cap weighted basis, international developed, if we look at the EFA, EFA, that's up 13.77% for the year on international developed. Um, And then if we look at bonds, we had a bond market rally in the last couple of weeks. We went from negative for the year, around two or 3% because of ever increasing interest rates to now the ag, including dividends. So the price is still down slightly. If I looked at it on a price basis, but with interest payments, it's up 2.86% for the year. We look at, uh, Instead of looking at the Russell 2000, which is which has been lagging, I'm going to break it down because you hear a lot lately about the Russell 2000 index, and it's a small and mid cap index, but there's something like over 30 percent of the companies in it that don't make a profit. But that makes sense because they're smaller companies. There's a lot of biotech in there. Biotech last year and much of this year went through a real rough period of time. Um, and a lot of those are kind of up and coming new drugs, inventions, whatever it may be. So. Uh, but if you break it down more on, let's say, the Russell Midcap ETF, IWR, that's still up 11.66% for the year. Most of that's came in the last month and a half. Same with small cap ETF for, from iShares, IJR, up 7.89% for the year. So <clears throat> if you look at it on a long-term basis, right, you know, right now it's 
kind of the overall consensus. And we will find out where we are in the rate cycle today because the Fed's uh, will decide if they're going to increase interest rates, decrease interest rates, or leave them the same. What part of the cycle are we in? Have we stopped the X up cycle? Now we're at a pause and now it goes back down. I would say be careful a little bit of what you ask for because if they have to drop rates, it's because the, the economy is struggling a bit. Um, but the shift idea is that, okay, selective value stocks, selective small cap and things like that, things that have lagged tend to outperform over the next five to 10 years, right? Um, so it is a situation where you're probably going to be looking at your portfolio. If you're all S&P 500 weighted or large cap growth, I get it. I mean, the revenue growth has been in the large cap growth stocks. Anything that has to do with AI technology, making us all more productive, allowing us to work from home. That's where the revenue has been. So that's why they're right now, you know, what is it? 23% of the S&P 500's return is in the top five companies. So what has it done well? When we go through a period of time like this, or we're changing a cycle, that's what I like to look at. What tends to outperform over 10 and 15 years, but hasn't done as well over this uptick? Um, now, speaking of uptick, Bond prices went up, but yields went down. So the two-year U.S. Treasury, if you buy a two-year bond from the U.S. government, they'll pay a 4.71%. If you buy a 10-year, it's only paying 4.2% before the market opened today. So we still have an inverted yield curve. And my son is down at Texas Tech, sent me a, one of these boomer memes today. I think he thinks I'm a boomer. Um, and... It's just terrible cartoon work, but it, it basically is a guy and a girl talking and the girl says, what's your sign? And he says, I don't believe in that stuff. That's stupid. And then he, and you flip it and then it's this guy looking at an inverted yield curve, a chart of an inverted yield curve. And um, he believes in that. And what he, <laughs> it's just, it's rough humor, but that's what he does. It, it has to do with the idea that when you typically have an inverted yield curve, at some point there's a recession. Well, there's typically a recession every five to seven years, sometime around in there. And uh, the yield curve has been inverted for a bit. And so, you know, yield curves tend to uninvert <laughs> a period of time. And it doesn't look like the 10 year is going to go rallying back up in terms of rates. And so the two year may come back down. But if we look at these rates and even on the 10 year, because now you have a lot of people saying, okay, the the, the the attractive part of bond buying in terms of the curve and what the curve means is do interest rates go up the longer out you're investing? Okay. Do interest rates go out the longer you're investing? So you should typically get paid more when you're investing in a 10 year bond than a two year bond. And so you can look at municipals and corporate bonds for a portfolio. And it's kind of the belly that a lot of people are saying in the attractive part, kind of the, you know, kind of two more like, you know, five to seven year, if we get real exact, um, because that gives you a nice rate of return. It gives you an increase in value if rates do drop down, allowing you to sell some bonds at a gain and buy stocks if they happen to drop because of a recession. And so that's what many are still thinking, soft landing, mild recession at some point in 2004. But interest rates are where we were essentially back in August of 2008. They weren't as high as they were. Um, in, for a while, we we're almost at 5% on the 10 year, which we hadn't seen since about 2006, but 
I mean, interest rates were on this downward spiral spiral from essentially 2006 time or 2007 timeframe all the way down to August of 2020, where we went from, you know, around five and a half, six percent all the way down to a half a percent on the 10 year treasury, August of 2020 at the bottom of COVID. And when then we went rallying back up this year, big sharp increase in interest rates and the stock market has done very, very well hanging on when it comes to how quickly rates went up. Even the, the, uh, the employment market has done really, really well so far. So that's why a lot of people are calling for more of a soft landing issue. The only thing that broke, like I said, from these raising rates is kind of the regional break bank issue that we had, but we will see how commercial loans are being refinanced in the coming, you know, really three to six months. Okay. How, how's the market going to handle that? Um, so it's interesting. It's uh, we'll see what the fed has to say today. Um, okay. So it's December 13th. Let's talk real quickly about some year-end tax moves to make when it comes to portfolios. And we're also a few days away from, in most cases, mutual funds, capital gains distributions. And this is where you have to worry about this. If you're investing in non-retirement accounts, so individual account, joint account, trust account, and you're investing in mutual funds or ETFs, this is the time of year when they tend to send out capital gains distributions. In fact, uh, ETFs typically that invest overseas will send out dividends and capital gains around the same time this year. Now, typically we talk about tax loss harvesting, where if you have anything in your portfolio that's down, you sell it. As long as you haven't bought it for 30 days, you can buy it back and lock in those losses and use them to offset gains. Not a lot of stuff that's down now this year. But if you have a mutual fund that's flat, an ETF that's flat, this is because it's usually around the 15th. This might be your, one of your last days to look at, do I want to exit this and avoid a big capital gains distribution on something that is flat or down for the year? Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcase is always packed pass. Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Got a question from Alec who was asking, um, he's essentially finally starting to invest outside of his retirement accounts. And he was starting to buy... ETFs at Fidelity, which we're actually going to talk about this in a little bit on ETFs. And um, he was essentially asking why people buy VTI instead of just buying IVV. And it was interesting because he was looking at essentially this year's return on IVV, which is an S&P 500 ETF. So it's an index ETF that matches the S&P 500 allocation. So when you look at uh, IVV, um, it's going to have that same weighting as the S&P 500. So that kind of that magnificent seven approach. When you look at the allocation and market cap, it's 46% giant companies, 35% large cap, 18% mid cap. Now VTI, which is um, the return this year is about 1% less 
That's because VTI is the total stock market index from Vanguard. It's an ETF, the VTI. And it's giant stock exposures, 41%, large cap 30.7, mid cap is 19.68, small cap 6.25, and then 2.14 in micro cap. So it's going to go smaller in terms of company size allocation. Um, that means it's more diversified in terms of asset classes. And when you look at the holdings, it's still 6% Microsoft, um, 6.23% Apple, Amazon, NVIDIA. It's all in there. So it's like the S&P 500, but a little less in the top companies, a little more spread out along more smaller size companies. So like I said earlier in the show, this year, small cap and mid cap have underperformed large cap. Over the long term, I would tend to believe that small cap, although a lot more volatile, will outperform large cap. Because they're up and coming companies that are new companies. It's kind of the, the shiny new object, right? And eventually they get bought by larger companies or become larger companies. So make sure you you are fully diversified because it's, you know, a lot of people just have large cap growth in the S&P 500 right now, which has been great. And again, that's where the revenue is going. And AI is revolutionary. And most of the companies in the top are, are dealing with AI. So speaking of stocks, earlier in the uh, segment, I was talking about have you sold enough stock tax-wise for the year? This has been, you know, November and December are always my busiest months where we're meeting with clients. We're talking about tax issues, IRA to Roth conversions for people that are retired, um, and just overall year-end planning. We have you know, business owners that have customized 401k plans that need to get a certain amount in before the end of the year and the rest later. Uh, clients that uh, are over 70 and a half that are gifting their required part of their required minimum distributions directly to charity to avoid taxes on those IRA distributions. You can do that at age 70 and a half and beyond funding charities with highly appreciated stock, opening up and funding donor advised funds. If you're trying to accelerate a tax break and gift to charity over time, all sorts of options like that, that your financial advisor should be talking to you about. But one thing is that people that have highly concentrated stock, and obviously in the Bay Area, a lot of people have that situation. They work for Apple, Cisco, Microsoft, Meta, and they end up with a lot of highly appreciated stock. And they they are concerned about selling because they're like, oh, my taxes are really high this year, so I, I should wait to sell until next year. But you have to understand how tax brackets work. There's the ordinary income tax bracket, which is, you know, your wages from work, interest from bank accounts, things like that. That's ordinary income. That's taxed the ordinary income bracket. When you have stock that you've held for over a year or dividends from US-based corporations, that's taxed the long-term capital gains bracket. Okay. So if you own something for over a year and then you sell it, the gain is taxed at the capital gains bracket. And I'm going to uh, look at this and say, okay, what I'm going to just use married filing jointly because everybody has either a standard deduction or an itemized deduction, right? And that's close to 30,000, especially if you're over 65. Okay. So let's just round the numbers here. And then if the only income that you have is from capital gains by selling stock or real estate that you've owned over a year or dividends, you can have another um, 89,000 of income on top of that and only pay a 0% capital gains bracket. So, 
Where this comes into play is early retirement, especially before Social Security's kicked in and required minimum distributions kicked in. You can actually create quite a bit of income at a very low bracket. And then between for married couples finally jointly between 89,000 and 553,000, that's only a 15% capital gains bracket. So a lot of people think there is some major marginal bracket that's much higher than that. Now, your ordinary income can push your capital gains taxes up into the next bracket, right? So if you have ordinary income, that eats up some of that 0% bracket for capital gains. But I find a lot of people avoid selling their highly concentrated positions, thinking that they're at a higher bracket this year when they're, they're not. So one of the things that you should do, especially if you have losses that you carried forward from 2022 and you have too much of a single stock, and this comes into play as you, the closer you get to retirement, you want to make sure that you are not letting taxes make your primary decision. But you also need to be aware that you might not be using up all of the capital gains brackets that's out there. So whether or not you do it this year, if you have time to meet with your CPA, uh, your financial advisor, think about it at least going into next year. Make this a New Year's resolution to do, do some simple understanding of your tax return. Are you itemizing? Are you taking a standard deduction? How are your charitable contributions? Are you even getting a, a deduction from your donations to charity? Are you taking advantage of these low capital gains tax brackets that are set to expire in 2026 unless Congress acts to extend it or do something new? Are you, are you, are you taking advantage of all that? So there is, uh, you know, also a 20% capital gains bracket, but that's over 553,000 if you're married filing jointly. Um, of capital gain income plus ordinary income. And then there is this 3.8% um, for high income earners that has to do with uh, net investment income tax uh, if, for it's like a Medicare tax, but take some time to understand that because I, I find this every single year that people aren't realizing that, especially if they retire, let's say, let's say you're retiring in 2023 and in 2024, you weren't planning on you know, pulling from retirement accounts or social security, which is for most people around 85% of its taxable income. There's a lot of stocks that you could sell in your taxable account without triggering a huge tax. And I'm talking about the federal level, state level, you know, they don't care. California taxes all income the same, except for social security. So keep that in mind. Um, taxes is one area in retirement that you can do a lot of good in terms of controlling what you pay and when you pay it and keeping more in your portfolio than going to Uncle Sam, especially after age 73 when your required minimum distributions kick in and you lose full control of your tax bracket. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton.
Let's talk about the 4% draw rule. So I got in the business in 1993. In 1994, there was the big debut of the rule, um, the 4% withdrawal rule, which essentially said, okay, if you invest in a balanced portfolio, you know, mix of stocks and bonds, well diversified, um, if you are able to live off of 4% of your portfolio, so back then, let's say it was a million dollars, you could live off 40 grand a year, but each year you could increase that 40 grand with inflation, right? So say 3% increase in withdrawal every year to keep up with your standard of living that you should have enough money to last until the day you die. And then if we all remember that back in December, 2021, Morningstar put out a report that said, oh, nope, the new withdrawal rule is 3.3%. And that caused in, in our industry quite a bit of debate. Um, and, uh, the idea was that, well, the, the, the point of the rule was to get through good markets and bad markets. And it's also a basic rule of thumb that where people could just say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm 60. I can calculate forward with my contributions to my 401k plus a little bit of growth. Let's say assume five or 6% that this is what I'm going to be worth in my 401k at 65. And if I pull money out of that at 4% and pay some taxes, is that enough for me to live? That's all the, am I close to retirement? Oh, I am getting close. Okay, I better go see a financial advisor to really get this dialed in. And when I see a financial advisor, I'm not talking about somebody that makes a commission on insurance products and selling annuities and things like that. I'm talking about a fee-only fiduciary-based certified financial planner practitioner so you can get a real financial plan where you can see all of your cash flow, your annual tax estimates, all of that in one place, say, how do you have enough money to last year in 95? What about different scenarios like long-term care and when you should take social security? How do you require minimum distribution? You have to see all of that in a financial plan. And the 4% draw rule is kind of silly because honestly, it's just a, a, are you close? Because the way that income planning works into retirement, especially if you retire early, like before age 65, when Medicare kicks in, there is a, a tax strategy and a healthcare premium tax credit strategy between retirement and 65. Then between 65 and when you take social security, which is 67 to 70 in most cases. Um, and then another one when your required minimum distributions kick in at age 73. So your withdrawals are all over the place. The idea is this is just a rule of thumb. And the idea is that you also have to realize that there is some prediction issues here with the sequence of return risk. So if anybody attended the webinar that I did last week, I show an example of somebody that retired in the seventies um, when people used to invest in 40% stock, 60% bonds, and they started drawing 5% a year with inflation. And based on what the market did through all the way through 2008, they had a ton of money left over like $4 million. But if you flip the order of returns and it's the same stock market, right? It's just flipped in terms of the order of returns. They ran out of money in 32 years. That's the order of market returns. So you have, it's really what happens in the first 10 years of retirement. There's the sequence of returns risk, which is not only, you know, do you retire right during a large market correction like 08 and 09, but also how quickly does the recovery occur? And where is inflation in that? guide path, right? The other issue is your spending. 
people that overspend in the first 10 years of retirement can drastically affect their standard of living later in life. So it's really important to stick with the budget, especially the first 10 years of retirement. Um, and also make sure that you can bite the order of stock market returns with the proper withdrawal strategy. And that is calculating your safe money, which I talk about all the time. And your safe money calculation is not three years worth of your expenses. That's way too much saving in cash. It's your total expenses. That's, that means you have to calculate your living expenses, your hobbies, all that kind of stuff. You have to have an estimate of how much you're going to pay in taxes every year. Minus things like social security, pension, certain amount of dividend and interest income from your taxable accounts, certain amount of, you know, rental property that's very consistent. Um, and whatever you're going to draw out of your portfolio on top of that, you should have three years worth of, worth of that number and save money so that if you go through a rough period in the market, you can live off of your dividends and your interest and your cash. So you don't sell any shares after the share price has declined and you have the same number of shares in your account when the rebound occurs. And that rebound can occur really quick. Just look at the stock market last year. I mean, people have such amazing um, financial Alzheimer's where the NASDAQ, if, if we look on at the NASDAQ, even though I mentioned earlier in the show, the NASDAQ is up 49% for the year. Um, if we look at that over a two-year period, so January 3rd of 2022, I keep bringing this up on the show, but the NASDAQ is just barely positive. It's only at 0.42% since January 3rd of 2022, even though it's up 49% for the year. That's because if we look for all of 2022, so if we go to January 3rd, 2022 to December 31st of 2022, the NASDAQ was down 33%. So math-wise, we go down 33%. In this case, you had to go up 49% just to break even, right? And those recoveries can come really, really fast. So if anybody would have last year either panicked and sold because they were allocated too aggressively, they would have missed out on recovery. Or if they would have been forced to sell shares of the NASDAQ to put food on their table, they would have missed out on the recovery. That's why realizing what the order of stock market returns is um, and having a plan to fight it because you know, the stock market is going to take such good care of you over time. I mean, we look at the last 50 years, it's averaged a little over 11%. It was positive, I think over 74% of the time last I looked. But it's what you do when it's negative. And when the market is negative, the negative return tends to be around negative 13, 14%. And so as long as you're not selling during those periods of time, and 2022 is also an issue of both stocks and bonds going down together. So bonds, even short-term bonds, can't be considered safe money. I'm talking FDIC insured. I'm talking T-bills, um, you know, CDs, that kind of stuff. Because last year in 2022, the bond market was down 12.43%. The NASDAQ was down 33%. But if we look over a 10-year period, the NASDAQ is up 412%. Bonds are up 16.2%. See what I mean? Returns are phenomenal over the long run. But it's what you do in the short term, either having to sell to put food on the table or panicking because you invested too aggressively. Now, the other way to deal with this, and there's a great article in Financial Advisor Magazine by Jennifer Leah Reed uh, talking about this whole battle on the 4% rule and kind of the, the backlash that Morningstar got when they said the new withdrawal rate's 
3%. And Michael Kitsis argued that the whole 4% was created because of good economies, bad economies and, and rough market periods. Like the reason why I tell you guys when you're doing your financial planning projections is to use a rate on your linear cash flow models below 6%. Because if we look at a stock market, which was really tough, if you had invested in 2007 and 10 years later in 2017, and you invested in diversified, globally diversified portfolio. So international, you know, us still mostly us, but some, you know, international stocks and then bonds, your average annual rate of return because of 08 and 09 would have been or well, slightly under 6% because of that rough year in 08 and 09, the average annual return. So you have to have conservative rates of return, but also guide rails on your spending. So if you start out at age 65 and you're withdrawing and if you do this on a more adjustable basis, some people say you can withdraw more as long as you adjust during market downturns. But the idea is that if you start off in retirement drawing 4% and the market goes through, let's say we go through a recession next year and we get a 10% decline in a balanced portfolio, a 20% decline in stocks, for example. That doesn't mean you have to reduce your spending by 10, 15, 20% in 2024. It means you can make a small one or 2% adjustment forever in your financial plan. Just find a couple of places to cut, but then go back and reward yourself once the market goes back into recovery mode and go back to your normal level of spending. So it's basically, um, you know, some guardrails for your spending. So it's an annual adjustment. That's why it's so important to have a financial plan, um, an online access like we have for our clients where you can go on and see, Based on today's value of all the accounts and my living expenses, my my withdrawal strategy, um, all of my plan distributions from accounts and everything, how long is my money going to last? And that way you can go online and often see that, oh, okay, this 10% correction, this 20% correction, I'm still going to be okay. Um, and then you can review your line item of expenses and say, what should I cut down a little bit this year? Just to 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 wait and spend a little less until the market recovers. Um. And so you do have periods of, you know, two to three years that it takes from a big decline sometimes when the portfolio recovers. But I, I, when I talk about these declines, I, I want to, you know, just tell you that, um, you know, if we look back at the stock market since December of 2003, if we look at the total return of the S&P 500 since 2003, it's over 1200% return over 20 year period. So it's just think about that for a minute. It's it's but what you do in the bad years in retirement makes a huge difference. So it's going to take care of you over time. You just got to keep your emotions out of it and make sure that you're planning for the order of market returns. I remember what I was listening to the other day, but I'm like, okay, I don't know if I've talked about this for a while, but there's been kind of this just continued increase of money flowing into ETFs, which are exchange traded funds and out of mutual funds that were developed under the 1940 Funds Act. And so what you typically see in your 401k is mutual funds, right? And you know that you put the money into a mutual fund and the manager decides how to allocate that money among different types of stocks or bonds. So you're typically either picking a large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging market, bond fund, things like that inside your 401k. Um, once you get to a point where you're maxing out your 401k, which is, you know, if you're going to be 50 or older this year, it's 30 grand. So um, then you get an employer match on top of that. And the next step, you would make sure you want to do a Roth or a backdoor Roth. 
and then mega backdoor Roth 401k. We've done shows on the whole thing. If you have extra money, then you're trying to say, I got to invest outside of my retirement accounts now. I've got to buy, uh, you know, open up a Fidelity or Schwab account or directly with a mutual fund maybe and, and pick between ETFs and mutual funds. And I had a question from somebody that was asking the difference between ETFs and direct indexing. That's a great question because it can be very confusing because most ETFs are set up like an index fund. For example, there's a bunch of different ways to invest in the S&P 500. You could buy IVV. You could buy SPY. You could buy VOO. All of those are direct investments into the S&P 500 using an ETF or exchange-traded fund. You could also go directly to Vanguard, Fidelity, and other funds and buy mutual funds that are invested in the S&P 500. So it's a little bit confusing. And when it's in a retirement account, it doesn't really matter too much. But when it's a taxable account, I will tell you that ETFs are more attractive than mutual funds in most cases. Um, so the idea is that your you're looking for this and, and you've got to start dealing with your asset alloc- asset location in addition to asset allocation. That's another show. So the differences between ETFs and mutual funds, they're both baskets of stocks, right? But ETFs, these funds trade like stocks on an exchange. They can be bought or sold throughout the trading day at whatever market price that you're looking at, right? So you can go up and down all day long. You buy and sell multiple times a day where mutual funds are bought and sold based on their net asset value at the end of the trading day. That's determined after the market closes. So if you buy or sell in the morning, you're not going to get the price till the end of the day. So day traders are going to use ETFs anyways. Um, for us, just you know, adding to your portfolio every single day, whether it's manually into your Fidelity or Schwab account or doing something like Acorns app um, or one of the other robo advisors, that that's you know, you don't care about that day trading, trading all day long issue. Um Most ETFs are passive, but there's a huge number of active ETFs now. In fact, a lot of companies, which I'll talk about in a minute, like dimensional funds, which is basically takes indexes and puts some parameters and rules on it called smart beta. Um, They've shifted from mutual funds to ETFs recently on a lot of their funds. Um, So most ETFs are passive index investing, most and then mutual funds are either. ETFs tend to have a little bit lower fees than mutual funds. And now that you can buy even fractional shares and there's no trading costs on most ETFs at Fidelity and Schwab, um, account minimums are often easier to come by. I will say it's a little easier to open up a mutual fund and add 50 to 100 bucks a month versus an ETF. It keeps a little bit more manual process. But ETFs are better in most cases for taxable accounts because they tend to be more tax efficient because of their unique structure when they're bought and sold. So this is the time of the year when you kind of realize that because if you buy a mutual fund in a taxable account and let's say it's flat or even negative for the year and all of a sudden December 15th, they pay a capital gains distribution. What that means is this year that fund manager decided to buy a stock that they might've bought 10 years ago and you end up getting a tax bill. Now, when you pay that tax bill, it increases your cost basis. So you don't pay it again later, but it, it kind of sucks. Like, man, I just invested in this thing and now I got a tax bill. Well, the reason why um, ETFs are more tax efficient is they're actively managed and tend to have a little bit higher turnover rates as one, but ETF shares are created and redeemed through in-kind transactions with authorized participants, which are usually large institutional investors. So when there's demand for a new ETF share, these authorized participants 
can assemble a portfolio of the underlying assets and exchange this portfolio with the ETF provider. And you can do it on the reverse as, as well, in a sense, the reverse process where the authorized participant returns ETF shares in exchange for a basket of underlying securities. That's redemption. So when people want out of a mutual fund, securities tend to have to be sold, right? And cause a tax hit when you don't have that as much going on in an ETF or exchange traded fund. So long story short, they can be more tax efficient in more taxable accounts, especially. All right. Now I will say that a lot of companies are, are issuing actively managed ETFs in addition to the index approach. So you can buy, um, you know, iShares and Vanguard has a bunch of index based ETFs, but a lot of them now have actively managed ETFs as well. So the, 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 the mutual fund, is going you know could go to by the way the dodo bird eventually where all mutual funds eventually just kind of wither away but and they're just replaced by the same version of management with an ETF. Um, I went on Fidelity on their ETF screener in seconds last night and I was able to pull up seventy two actively managed ETFs that are rated three star or better by Morningstar. Um, and on this list, you had Vanguard. Everybody thinks of Vanguard as indexing, but they have a bunch of actively managed funds and now ETFs. Fidelity has a bunch of actively managed ETFs. Of course, dimensional funds that I mentioned. Wisdom Tree is another big one that you'll notice. Franklin and T. Rowe Price, right? So now a lot of people, let's say, for example, are looking at their portfolios and they say, man, I have so much S&P 500 and large cap growth. I want to invest in my after-tax account. So maybe they look for more of a large cap value. But this is an area where if I'm going to add value to a portfolio, kind of like value, but I want rules. I don't want just cheap stocks because of their PE ratio. They might be cheap for a reason. It might be a value trap. So I want some other rules alongside of it. Price to book, price to sales, uh, increasing dividends, dividend payout ratios, all sorts of stuff. So check out ETFs for your taxable accounts. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me, the podcast, iTunes link, Facebook, all of it, chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Have a great day. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.